Hey guys, welcome to Mikey on the mic. This is Mikey. Um, so we're going to do something different today. I am going to attempt to do a podcast by myself. Um, I know that a lot of you guys have listened to my previous podcasts and um, all my guests, I think, are willing to come back again. But um, I really would love some new guests if anyone out there is listening and wants to be a guest. But also to give you guys more consistent content, I think that maybe doing it by myself would be okay. And let me know if you guys think that having a like solo podcast is good, bad, indifferent, whatever you think. Um, so I guess today I just got out of therapy. I'm out catching some Pokemon because that's what I do with my life now. Um, I started playing Pokemon Go so that way I could beat um, Amber and my older son Asher their levels because I'm competitive and then I said I was going to delete it. So we'll see what happens when I finally beat them. But um, I just finished therapy and my therapist told me today that really um, my issues that I'm having right now I am not going to be able to fix right now. And I don't like that. I don't know how many of you guys out there are the same, but I hate not being able to fix things. Um, I am a fixer. And I don't know what it comes from. I guess, you know, like your childhood, like how you were brought up, that plays a part in it. Um, But also... I don't know if any of you guys have ever learned birth order theory, but I think maybe that might play a part in it too. So I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about birth order theory. Um, So I got really, really into it when I was like a senior in high school. Psychology was going to be my major in college. And um, that was, you know, what I wanted to do. So I was studying all aspects of psychology. And birth order theory really, like, hit me hard. Um, because what it is, is it is saying that you're, you have some core personality traits based on when you were born. If you're the oldest, if you're the youngest, if you're the only child, middle child. Um, but there are some caveats to that, right? So the firstborn son will be treated differently than the firstborn daughter. Um, and then now we live in a society where there's a lot of mixed families, like, or blended families, I guess. Um, and so where you're at in your blended family and like when they came into the picture also plays a part. And then if you had any like sibling deaths, that also plays a part. So I don't know how many of my viewers actually know me or like my history, but I am the oldest. I have 10 siblings. Um, I have five brothers and five sisters, none of which are full blood related. So it's very complicated and we'll go into it. And if you don't want to hear my family history, like, you know, the book of Genesis or is it numbers? Maybe it's the book of numbers in the Bible where it's like, so-and-so begot so-and-so who begot three sons who begot four daughters this is kind of going to be like that but anyways um 
I was born when my kids, or when my kids, when my parents were 16. So they were real young and um, they had me. And then a year and a half later had my brother, Alex, who passed away pretty young. He passed away when he was 24 weeks old um, of SIDS. So they split. And so I guess when it comes to birth order theory, was I the oldest? Was I an only child? I don't know. So then both my dad and my mom split and got with someone else who also then they each had a son. Um, So both my brothers are three years younger than me. And um, I grew up mainly at my dad's but then um, my mom had a daughter who is seven years younger than me and then my dad had a daughter who is nine years younger than me long story short they then split up with those people and each got remarried to my now step parents who had children of their own so my stepmom had a son who was my age and a daughter who was the age of my brothers. So I have two brothers and a sister who are three years younger than me. And um, I have a brother that's the same age as me on one side. Um, And then my mom got remarried to my now stepdad and he had two daughters and two sons. And I'm gonna be really honest with you. I don't remember their ages. I know that they're all younger than me, Um, but they got married when I was like 20, 21. So, it was not as like growing up with them. I still count them as my siblings, but I didn't grow up with them. So now back to birth order theory. So I am the oldest and there was a short amount of time where I was the only child, but also to caveat, I have like middle to younger child traits because I grew up with my uncles who were very close in age with me. Um, they call me their their niester because I'm their niece slash sister because we grew up like um, when I was younger they were there so we have these things where I don't know what my traits are anymore because I'm the oldest but I also wasn't only for a while and then I have all these blend like my brother technically is a month younger than me my stepbrother but he's the same age as me, but we also became siblings when we were 12. So is that, do we both share like older sibling traits? So birth order theory pretty much says though, that the older children will be perfectionists, right? Because parents expect certain things from older children and that we, um, we tend to have more perfectionist traits. We also tend to be more like leadership qualities than our siblings. So most presidents of the United States were older children, like the oldest, Um, you know, those kind of things. Like we have more leadership qualities, but then, only children also have leadership qualities, but they're more the young adults, right? So you have those kind of qualities that you have. And I know that I'm sure 
most of you know that middle children are supposed to be the like mediators because they tend to like quote unquote be forgotten in the middle. So they're not the oldest. They don't have as strict of expectations, but they're not the youngest. So they're not being babied. And then the youngest are going to be your like comedians, the people who don't take things so seriously. Um, and so I wonder if being an oldest child really has triggered my like sense of like need to always fix things, always be in control. Um, but then I don't know. Does anybody else who's not an older child feel this way? Is is it just my childhood trauma? Is my therapist right? Maybe I don't need to fix everything. You know, does anyone else ever feel like, how the hell did I get here? Like when just like you wake up one day and you're like, wow, my life is here. How did I get here? And then you just try to trace it back. Like, and I think that's where like trying to figure out, is it ingrained in me because the way like where I was born in like the order of my siblings is it because I had to take care of my parents at different times in their lives um which both will deny to this day um I don't know you know those are things that I think about and I don't know if you guys think about it and I know that this is like me like decompressing therapy on my podcast but it's my podcast no one listens to this. That's fine, too. I just wonder if everybody else is, you know, going through some of the similar things that I am going through and feel similar ways. And if so, like, let's talk about it. I started going to therapy, um, I don't know, like a month now, a month ago. And it has been a journey for sure. I am learning more about myself than I think I have in therapy. I am really good at avoiding therapists' questions and not really acknowledging my issues. And I think that this therapist that I'm seeing now really does not let me do that, which is good, but also I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, You know, part of my therapy journey has been communication style and my attachment style. So I am very avoidant attachment. I have a hard time when people get too close. I tend to run. And, but then also I'm an over communicator, which goes against that. I like to talk everything until it's dead and then revive it and talk about it some more. And I don't know if any of you guys know attachment styles. I guess this is going to be a therapy podcast today. I'm sorry. I'm just rambling at this point. And again, if you guys hate my like alone podcast, we won't do it anymore. But um, I think that attachment styles are like acknowledging that you're, you have attach- different attachment styles um, or unhealthy attachment styles have been a bigger topic of conversation, I think, lately. And I, I didn't realize, like, how much people are actually, like, acknowledging these things now, right? We, we tend to learn our attachment styles early on, 
and it's triggered by things that like we grew up with so if you don't i think i saw a a graph at one point that said like ancient anxious attachment styles who are like very insecure in their selves they will look to others to seek that secure and avoidant attachment styles are very insecure about others so they pull away because they don't trust other people now if you trust other people and you trust yourself you have a very healthy balanced attachment style um and then there's the like mixed attachment styles where they just kind of go back and forth which maybe i have a little bit of that too who knows i think i have everything honestly i am a walking dsm5 but like i never realized how much it really affects your life and people around you you know um it affects everything you do. It affects how you interact with your children, how you interact with your coworkers, how you interact with your spouse. And that to me is just crazy, but also very like good to know when you finally figure it out. But what happens when you and someone in your life have different avoidant, like attachment styles, not avoidant styles, but um, and I think that's something that I'm working through. And I think that it's probably a very common thing with people um, where my wife, Amber, is anxious attachment through and through. I'm avoidant attachment. So her anxious attachment triggers my avoidant attachment and vice versa. So without being aware of our natural reactions to things we trigger each other and become in, we go into this perpetual cycle of unhealthy attachments and unhealthy communication and my previous relationships i think that my previous relationships were anxious attachments minus my first ex-husband who was uh, he was a narcissist, so I don't even know where to even begin with that. But, um, just effort, you know, to when I'm feeling triggered and wanting to pull away, consciously not pulling away from those people who trigger me. Let me tell you, you, when you're feeling like you're overwhelmed and you're, sh- you're triggered being consciously aware of that and trying really hard to change your reactions. Um, and you know, I'm still reactive and sometimes I don't, I'm not conscious of it, but you know, and I think that's something that, you know, they say opposites attract. Everybody says this, um, can opposites really make it through because when you're thinking about opposites right so again we're going to talk about my marriage with amber amber and i are rock solid opposite people um we took the myers-briggs a couple weeks ago together and she literally is complete opposite of me not one trait in common um so that means that our needs are different but she doesn't understand my needs and it takes a lot for me to really like take a step back and understand her needs are different too because 
I don't understand having to sit at home and like recharge. Like I want to go out and I want to be around people. That's how I'm going to recharge because I'm extroverted and she's introverted. But I do have to say the one thing that has been the biggest blessing with being with someone who is the opposite and doing the work is that you see things in a different way that you never would have seen if you hadn't been with someone who was different than you, right? If you're with someone who's the same, they're going to see things the same way and they're not going to challenge you to look differently at things. And I really think that that has been one of the biggest pros of my relationship with Amber is that she challenges me to look at things in a different way and maybe not read so deep into things because I will overthink things. I will read into it. I can tell you 10 ways from Sunday why I think someone did something. And really it's because like, I think they ate peanut butter because maybe they're lacking in protein and like all this stuff. Maybe they were just fucking hungry, you know? And that's Amber is very like, surface level she just it is what it is because what it is and I try to read too far into it most of the time so you know I think that that is really cool and I wonder how many of my listeners out there or even have friendships that are completely opposite of them and push them and challenge them to think of things in a different way do you do you rise to that challenge or do you give up because it's hard? It's it's got to be really common because I mean, the saying "opposites attract" didn't come from nowhere, right? Now in a day and age where these conversations are becoming more frequent and more socially acceptable to talk about, right? Like we're talking about the fact that yeah, you know what? I need different things than you and that's okay, but I need you to like meet me there. How many of our parents or grandparents had different communication styles and different needs that weren't being fulfilled, but they just went with it because that's what they were supposed to do. And they worked through it. And like, they've had these um, marriages, but someone was always lacking and they just dealt with it because that's what they did. And is that better? Because, I mean, they still made it work. Or is it better that we now are acknowledging our differences and what we need? And those needs to be met, even if it's only halfway. My father once told me that marriage is not 50-50. You should not give 50% into your marriage. You should be willing to give 100%. So that way, when your partner gives 50%, you're not losing 50% because you are willing to go the whole 100%. You are actually gaining that 50% back because they're willing to give it to you. I think that that really does change the expectations of a relationship because if we expect our partner to give us 50%, right? You will meet me halfway and they can't because sometimes you can't, you can't give 50%. But if I never expected 50% and I expected to give a hundred percent, well, when I can't, 
and my partner meets me with that 70% because I can only give 30%, I'm not losing anything. I'm gaining all of that because I was willing to give it all. I think that's really cool to think about, you know, and it's hard though, you know, and I think expecting things from your partners, like expecting that 50% or just expectations in general are so detrimental to our relationships. Like how do you, like if you are not open and honest about your expectations, like, Hey, I expect you to come home at night and give me your undivided attention for three hours because I need that. But that's your expectation, but you don't say it. And your partner comes home and doesn't give you their expectation of I'm going to come home from work at night and I need an hour to unwind before I can give you my undivided attention. Now you have two separate expectations that aren't meeting. And now you're going to have this resentment and this frustration from both sides. And the problem is, is no one said anything to each other. No one said, Hey, this is what I need. And all it would take would be that, right? So I need three hours of your undivided attention. Well, I need an hour to unwind. Okay. Well, how about you take 30 minutes to unwind, go take a shower or whatever. And then we sit down and like watch like an hour TV show where we don't necessarily, I don't need your undivided attention, but I just want to be in your space. And then, you know, we can talk or we can do whatever. I think that that is good. And I think those conversations are becoming more mainstream now, which I think is really great. But also I know I am victim to having unspoken expectations in my relationships and in my friendships even that I expect these things and I don't say it because I expect them because they're my needs, but I'm not verbalizing it. So then how does anyone know? And then I get upset and I get hurt because these people aren't meeting those expectations, but I'm expecting them to read my mind. And that's not fair. And I think that that really, maybe that's the detriment of society in general is just expectations. You know, we all have expectations of each other. And it's not, it's not what we need to be doing. I think that we, I think we have come so far as a society in the conversations about mental health and about mental and emotional needs. And I think we should continue having this conversation with each other, with everybody. And I know, like I said, this is like a therapy dump decompression session but really I just want you guys to know if you have felt any of these things or like you're going through any of these things or you have struggled with this or you've thought about this like you're not alone I am there and I definitely am willing to talk on different things by myself too if you want me to um really go to my Instagram follow me Give me topics that you want me to talk on, and I will try to start doing a weekly just solo podcast if this is something that you guys like, and we will still have the guests, and if you want to be a guest on my podcast, please let me know. I am all for it, but I think that maybe we start having these conversations about mental and emotional health, and 
also i want to talk about random things like aliens and cults so who knows but give me topics that you guys want to hear me talk about um and i will work on my next solo podcast and i really appreciate you guys listening to my therapy dump session so (laughs) you guys have a wonderful day and i will talk to you guys next time bye